Hello and welcome to Strong Habits, the podcast about all things training, nutrition and mindset with me, your host, Penny Vavridis. This is episode 42 and it's a great one, featuring the show's very first Olympian. I spoke with Olympic triple jumper, mum of three, personal trainer and life coach, Michelle Griffith Robinson. Michelle was a real joy to speak with, and I think you are going to really enjoy this episode. She represented Team GB for two decades, including the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. In this episode, Michelle tells me about the Olympics, about being the first woman to ever jump over 14 metres, and how she took the discipline and mindset needed to compete at the highest level, to push her into her her new challenges. Every new challenge, she is a hard worker. I'm gonna just stop talking and let you listen for yourselves. Remember to share this episode with anyone who you think might get something out of it. Enjoy. So today we have Michelle Griffith Robinson. I feel like I should have asked you how to pronounce your name before I started, sorry. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming on the show, how you doing? I'm really good, thank you. I'm very warm, as we as we can well imagine, for the whole of the UK right now. But blessed and grateful. I'm not complaining too too much. But yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming. You are the first Olympian to come on the show, so I am honoured to have you here. This is very exciting. That's good. I like being the first of something. <laughs> I would love if we could start with uh, a little introduction from you, a little bit about your story as an Olympian, and I guess where you are now. My name's Michelle Griffith Robinson. I'm a mother of three children. I am an Olympian, like you quite rightfully said. Um, I became an Olympian in 1996 um, in Atlanta, um, which probably goes down as one of my most proudest moments um, in my sporting history. And I I mentioned this to somebody the other day. I said, if you can just imagine um, walking into a stadium of 90,000 people and you're feeling like you're, you're you're at the epicenter of it all, and um, there was obviously other competitors, but I felt that everybody was just there watching me and I felt completely overwhelmed. And, um, but still goes down as one of the best ever things I've ever been through, endured, um, and had the privilege to be part of, to be honest with you. So yeah, so that's, that's me. And I'm a, I'm a former triple jumper. So yeah. I should t- tell everybody what event. I'm a former triple jumper and I was the first woman to jump over 14 metres in the triple jump in the Commonwealth Games. That is very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I like a little first time. Yeah, no, that is awesome. How did you get into triple jumping? So, um, you know, I, I, I've got to go back when I talk about um, how did I start triple jumping. It started off with um, as a long jumper. In fact, I started off as just a kid that needed someone to babysit, really. And um, I went down to Valfarm Sports Centre. And as I've shared before with, with many, of, uh, many listeners and many of my followers, it was um, not have wanted to stay at home with my three older brothers that my mum said, come along down the track with me. And she was doing a, a fitness class. I was there and um, she said to me, I said, mum, I'm a bit bored. And my mum hated the word bored. So she said, go, and, go over there and join in with that group. So I went over and I was a little bit reluctant and a little bit shy. And my mum's like, you're not shy. You ain't shy. Get yourself over there and join in. And I said, it cost a pound. And she says even today that that's the best pound she's ever invested in me. And that's where I really you know, started my sporting journey on a cinder track in Wembley. Um, and that's when my story started. So I started off as an as a everything athlete, trying all different sports and events, and ended up, be, you know, many years later becoming um, a triple jumper and representing Great Britain for over 15 years in that event. 
That's so wonderful. And how old were you on that day when you went and joined the track? Um, 11, maybe nearly 12, nearly 12 years old. And that's why, you know, I really encourage girls, especially girls, you know, to try something new and you never know which doors may open for you because of that. And um, also as well, why not try it? (laughs) I love that. That's wonderful. I think it's really important to always encourage kids to like just try and find stuff that they like doing especially sports stuff because even if you don't become an athlete or an olympian because obviously you know Mm. that's Mm. that's awesome and rare but like even just doing any sport you're benefiting yourself forever just in being stronger and fitter and more confident absolutely and I think that's some of the things that I, I you know I often tell a lot of people, you know, you know, I say to them, look, you know, it's not about becoming an Olympian or an, an elite um, sports person. It's about getting out there and getting involved. And, you know, in that in itself, it is a great thing, you know, so it's about getting involved. So on, on your website, you talk about coming from just a normal working class family. And I would love for you to talk a bit about that, because in, in the world of sports and in like the world generally, everything is set up in a way where that if you have money, you have a chance. And if you don't, well, then you don't. So it's always really wonderful to hear stories of people who do come from a working class background doing yeah. well and succeeding at stuff. So yeah. I would love to hear more about that from you. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's one of my, my uh, main messages, um, you know, uh, money should not become a barrier for people to participate in sport. And I came from a very hard working background. My mother was a, a nurse, a midwife, a ward sister, in a, a nurse, a professional nurse. My father was a plumber at Wembley Stadium. So coming from a working class background, I, I often and I, I really push this, sent, this sentiment that I don't want young people to be put off by not having the money to do a sport. And not having money or not having surplus money shouldn't become a barrier for people to get involved. Because actually there's so many benefits, which is what you alluded to earlier. I think it's so important, especially when if there are so many ways that you can do something, even if it's not necessarily like joining a team, maybe where Mm -hmm. you have to pay for Mm -hmm. the club or whatever. But even just if you can find yourself or get hold of a pair of trainers, then you can start doing something. Okay, so I want to talk about the Olympics. Tell me about being at the Olympics and training for the Olympics and all of that. So if we're talking about training for Olympics, you know, with the Tokyo 2020 just being cancelled, I can only imagine what it feels like then you've been training for, not just for four years, you've been training for eight years for your time. And for that to then just be pulled under your feet, almost the rug being pulled under your feet, is desperately disappointing. Now, obviously, we understand that COVID. So I bring that back to, for me, in 1992, when I sat at home and I was saying, I hope one day I get to go to the Olympic Games. And that manifests itself year by year. And 93, I was really jumping well. 94, I was jumping well. Few injuries. 95, really jumping well. 1996, boom, um, at the Olympic Games. And like I said to you, I, I have to go back to when I actually received the letter through the post, because you kind of know you're going to get selected. But when you actually receive the letter through the post, which incidentally my mother has framed. <laughs> Michelle Griffith, you will be representing Great Britain and Northern Ireland in the 1996 Olympic Games. And actually, it was the inaugural women's triple jump as well. So that's another first. I'm taking that first as well. That's awesome. So um, that, you know, it, it's only now that I'm retired and I've got three kids of my own. 
and I look back on it and I think you know what you've got to give yourself some credit and I, I did a webinar live webinar I, I do live coaching I'm a life coach and I did a live webinar yesterday on um, a motivational talk with some apprentices and I said one of the things that I think is important for us to do is look back reflect back to where the road we've traveled and I, when I look back on the road I've traveled from a girl from a working class background who dared to dream to where I am today and in the middle of that was me being an Olympian, me now having three letters after my name, O-L-Y, and the sacrifices that my mum made, my father made. You know what? I'm proud. That's wonderful. I find even just talking to you, I can sense how like proud and excited you are. I, I, I can imagine you being a really great motivational speaker, in fact. And I'm probably going to ask you as part of the podcast to just generally be motivating for the listeners yeah. as we go along. Yeah, why not? How does someone stay motivated for that long? Because it's a long road from like thinking, okay, maybe I could be good enough to actually competing. That's a long time. And then also after that being like, okay, so what do I do now? How do I turn all of the things that I can do into another business and stay mm -hmm. motivated for long enough mm -hmm. to build something brand new? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you've touched on a really good point there. Um, I think motivation comes intrinsically. I'm intrinsically motivated. I'm motivated about many things in my life. And that started from probably a young kid where I used to turn up to ballet, you know, and be excited to give my best then. And then, you know, you go on and then you become, you have this bubble of living this, <coughs> excuse me, this amateur professional life in sport. And then after that, you think, right, what's next? And I think the motivation starts from being within start motivation starts from within and also surrounding yourself with people that allow you and that support you on your journey of keeping motivated and i and i there's nothing more than that i love as, a, as an individual as a life coach a mentor as a mummy i want to motivate my kids and i think the most important thing how you stay motivated is to know your why so i will tell all the listeners out there if you know your why that helps and how can people listening figure theirs out if they don't already know? Come to me as a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> I love jokes aside, I'm not plugging me. I'm not plugging me. The one thing that I, you know, I, I say as a coach to, to you know, why, what would I recommend to others, to listeners out there? Get a big piece of paper. So if you guys can see me, you can just imagine. Close your eyes for one minute and imagine what I'm saying to you. Get a large piece of paper, big sheet of paper. Scribble down. Put your thoughts on that paper of what you want to achieve. Then ask yourself the question, why, how, when? And if you ask yourself those questions, you will not go wrong. And be accountable to it all. So almost share that vision, that piece of paper with all your things on it. Write them down, spread them, dream big, write it all down. Feel the excitement when you're writing it down. Then narrow it down. Yeah, and then go and ask one of your friends. Everyone's got a friend, even if it's a neighbor, a colleague, somebody in your team, your tribe. So once you've written it down in your paper, go and find your friend and say to your friend, do you know what, guys? I've had this vision. I've got this plan and I want to share them with you. But whilst I'm sharing them with you, is it possible you could support me on this journey, on this train journey? And I promise you, there will be very very happy to support you and maybe say to them i'll reciprocate because that's how you then recognize actually where are you going and why so i've got you know i speak about her a lot and i probably shouldn't i keep saying to her, marcy i mustn't stop talking about you 
I share all my dreams and my visions with Marcia. You know, I've got a few other friends that are dear to me. You know, I, I'm best friends with Denise Lewis, um, you know, and I'll bounce ideas off these guys. And they'll say to me, realistic or not? And I also invested in myself. I, I also have my own life coach. So my own life coach then says to me, yeah, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. Why would you? Yeah, okay, feed me. Tell me more. What does it look like? And just those simple questions that they ask you make you actually understand, is this really what I want or is it something that I think I want? That was really good advice. Thank you. I think often we forget to ask ourselves these questions and people just go through life (laughs) blindly just doing what they think they're supposed to do or chasing somebody else's dream without ever figuring out what it is Mm -hmm. that their dream is. Yeah, absolutely. And we can all go along the rat race of, you know, and, and you know, I've got a big place in social media, you know, a lot of my stuff work, stuff comes from LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm all up for that. I'm, I'm now a, a, a brand new brand ambassador for a jewellers called Kit Heath in North Devon. You know, I'm doing some work with Bowdoin as well. So I'm doing all these different bits and pieces. However, that's my dream and vision. It doesn't have to be anybody else's. And sometimes through whatever reason, some people can project, you know, um, our own fears and insecurities onto others and knock them off their course. Because we're thinking, oh gosh, I wish I had the gumption or the courage to try that. And that's one thing that I really hope our listeners in will, will recognise. Don't let others project their negativity onto you and take you off course to where you want to go and where you want to end up. I think that's so important, especially when it comes to, well, probably anything really. But in terms of health and fitness, often when people start trying to be more healthy, if it's a stark stark contrast to who they were before and how they behaved before, the people around them will try and stop them because it makes them feel bad that they're not doing it too. And figuring out how to manage that becomes quite a challenge in itself. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I often say to Penny, I say to people, Penny, that sometimes you have to check, you know, check your circles, you know, and, and check where you're moving. I think life is about moving, you know, moving on that treadmill. And, and sometimes you have to stop off and drop off people at the same time. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But you have to think actually about grown that person. You know, maybe I mean, our, our, our visions have changed. Our lives change. You know, if you think with COVID-19 now, people's lives are going to change significantly. Some people are going to make the decision to, you know, you know what, um, they're going to move to North Devon. They're going to say, I want that, you know, I don't want the, the, the hustle and bustle of a, of a city life. I want a more of a quieter life. And sometimes that, that, that reflection, um, you know, and yet again, you, you drift apart from people. And I think that's, that's actually natural. And then you might make a new set of friends. You know, I've been in North Devon two years now. And, um, you know, I've met and the most amazing set of friends from school, school mums, parents. I've got my most amazing friend, um, Dr. Lucy Miller, who I've just joined forces with and set up a new company with her called Vitalize. And I, who would have guessed that that would have happened? You know, you know, who would have guessed? Vitalize, we, we hold health and lifestyle workshops, you know, because we do recognize people burn out. So, you know, that's another venture that I would never have guessed would have formulated and that and that came about you know in a in quite a funny way to how life happens you know through fate um and that relationship that I, I started with Lucy came about because my daughter got knocked in the nose with a hockey stick and they, the hockey ball and it broke her nose um and Lucy so happens to be um anesthetist consultant down here her son goes to school with my with, with, with my daughter her son must have went home and said my my friend at school broke her nose and she's waiting for an operation Lucy then pulled some strings and as it then turned out, um, we then formulated, I was so grateful that she, you know, she managed to get Eden in because we was off to Barbados then and Eden had to have the operation a couple of weeks before she was getting on the plane. 
and that's how I met that met Lucy and we've become really close friends and she's a very beautiful woman she's beautiful in and out with the same values as myself and that's how we formulated Vitalize with some other health health professionals as well so you never know which road your, your life takes you you know you never really expect to make friends with people once you're an adult absolutely just... once you're an adult it's it's um you often think you, you kind of made your, your your core core value friends friends you know a lot and i have but you know i've made my friendship groups i know who they are and they're, they're generally olympians and people have been around from those days there's nothing wrong with adding on a couple of others as you go along and you don't go out seeking them but it just i guess as an adult going back to your thing what you said about making friends as an adult you actually know who you want in your life more when you become that secure adult yeah, 100%, because you actually get to choose your friends instead of them just being the people who you went Ooh. to school with. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what advice would you give to people when it comes to burning out and overtraining who might not know how to recover properly? It's about, you know, when you're talking about burning out and overtraining and stuff, it's about seeking advice. And, and there's always somebody that has a little bit more knowledge than yourself. So, you know, I don't claim to have all the evidence and the knowledge behind everything, but I know I've got a great support network and knowledge of people, a knowledge bank of people around me, my husband, including Matthews, you know, a knowledge of, you know, burnout and everything else. So in terms of burnout, it's about recognising awareness. And I think the more you say it to people nowadays, they've recognised that, you know, and I, I hate to keep going on about COVID, but they recognise that actually life, before March the 23rd, when everything got locked down, life was flipping busy and manic for a lot of people. Yeah, it was frantic. They were actually underperforming, you know, because of the burnout and the, yeah, I've got to keep going on the rat race, on the rat race. Whereas now people have had the time and we go back to the word again, reflect on where they were. So, you know, it's about having that self-awareness of actually how am I feeling and scaling yourself. So today I woke up and I've got a slight sore neck and I'm thinking, okay, I've got a lot on. Um, I had yourself. I've, I've had a, I had a photo shoot for Kit Heath this morning. You know, I had a, I had my mortgage guy on the phone, so I knew I had things that were in. And I was like, okay, positive mental attitude. Think ahead. You can get through this. If I need to take two paracetamol, I'll do that. But I knew my why. I knew what my why was. How can someone listening cultivate some positive mental attitude? There's so many books out there that um, you know are really helping people out and I would just put in there and I would I would really put put in Google which is our best friend at times and so also our worst enemy you know how do you cultivate a positive mental attitude I would say um how you cultivate a, peer, a positive mental attitude is really find out what works for you yeah and and I when I'm in my office which you can't see today I have all different buzzwords up in my office so I have celebrate your success I say you're better than you were yesterday today's a new day, show gratitude, I'm grateful, I'm confident, I am here, and I really visualize myself. And I would say to our listeners listening today, find who you are, and remember, tomorrow is another day. Because some days, let's be honest here, some days, they ain't great. Some days ain't great, and we mustn't pretend that every day is gonna be a 10 out of 10, yeah? But we need to be able to bubble away at 80% is what I say the 80-20 rule, you know, and I think that acceptance again, acceptance, being emotionally aware of where you're at, how you're feeling mentally and physically has a massive bearing on, on what you do. How can a person get out of their own way if they keep saying that they want to do something, but then keep just not being able to, or not so much not being able to, but just not quite doing it? 
that again comes back to what I said before. We all have, um, you know, barriers that do come in our way and we, we can't pretend that we don't. However, what we do need to say is you've got the barriers that are in your way, but how can you lessen that barrier and who can, you, who can help you along that? You know, I've got clients that I've booked in over the next three, four weeks and their biggest thing is how they're going to cope with the new norm. And, and I'm saying to them all the time, how does that new norm look for you? and be able to be flexible. So when I'm mentoring them, I'm saying, have that approach of being flexible because I think you can't be rigid in these circumstances because we're not in control of it. The one thing that I mention all the time is control the controllables. That's another thing that's up on my wall as well. So guys, you can write these up, put them on post-it notes, put them on your fridge, put them on your wall, control the controllables, celebrate your little wins, one step at a time, small gains, small steps, big wins, you know, so all the time create, a, you know, I have said that I'm going to write a book of all these little quotes and anecdotes. So I'm hoping that somebody out there is listening and would be willing to publish my little book. It's going to call it Motivational Mish. You know, and I, and I don't want people to, uh, to really listen and think this girl's got her shit together because I'm really, guys, I'm telling you, I've been at rock bottom too. I've, you know, I've been places where, you know, I've needed support, serious support. Is that something you want to talk about today? Probably wouldn't share that significantly today. Um, so, but thank you for asking. But I would just say that it's about investing in yourself. And if that's a therapist you need to invest in, then do so. If that's a health professional you need to do, then do so. If that's a life coach, then do so. But we, we do have to, I, I really have to keep emphasizing. I didn't just grow into who I am today. I feel more confident now than ever. But there's been patches in my 20s where I felt a very vulnerable, young, insecure, young being I think it's really hard being young generally I remember being incredibly depressed and like 20 years old and people being like this is the best years of your life and all Mm -hmm. I could think was does that mean it doesn't get any better (laughs) this is an aside but I think often we tell young people that everything is wonderful and they should be grateful for their youth Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. actually all of the people who I know who are the most comfortable in themselves are actually in like their 40s and 50s. I'm telling you babe Um, and I advocate that 100%. I've never felt more comfortable now um, being in my 40s um, and I'm you know I'm late 40s now. You know I did a, a Bowdoin shoot the other day in a bikini and I had so many women saying, oh, my God, I wish I could wear a bikini. I'm like, well, bloody hell, don't you? Rock your, rock your shit, man. Wear it. Wear your bikini. Yeah. And that's about, you know, what, not giving us stuff of what people think. And, you know, my abs, you know, when I look back at pictures of when I was in, in my youth, um, looking absolutely slam dunking, six pack, ripped, looking fantastic, pert little boobs, really long legs, really, really high bottom, look feeling great. I was my most insecure. Do you think a part of that would have been because when you were younger, people spoke more about your body than they do as you get older when they're talking to you or about you? Um, I think it was um, a perception, of, you know, being a, a world-class performer that people would often look at your body as, as, um, as, your, you know, as a symbol of who you are and not really getting to know who you are inside. And I think that's when, you know, if you go back and if you look back, you, you had a lot of page three models back then that, were, that became quite famous for showing off their body parts, you know, and people say, no, oh, you, you know, you couldn't get on the front of a magazine unless you were showing off your body parts, you know, and that goes back to the, like, those page three models who you don't see as much nowadays who would show off their body parts when we were younger. 
Now, you don't see that as much. Now you're seeing beauty. You're seeing pure beauty. You're seeing much more, and this is something that I do really want to spread out there, much more black women, you know, in magazines. We want them more on the front of magazines, may, may I add. You know, I want to see, and my vision for this is, I want to see women that look like me on the magazine. Short, natural hair, not feeling that we have to go along with the stereotype of having this long, flowy European weave. No, I want to see somebody that looks like me, short Afro hair, or a big Afro, yet not conforming on the front of the magazine. I want to see dark-skinned women on the magazines. I want to see light skin. I want to see brown skin. I want to see women that aren't showing off their cleavage to get on the front of the magazine. So women that are on the front of the magazine for a purpose. Amen you know, to that. You know, that, that's what I would like to see. Yeah, and you know what? The one thing that we should speak about, and I want to speak, say this out on here, without George Floyd passing away in May, maybe this conversation wouldn't have happened today, Penny. Yeah, so we, we have to make sure that we stay focused for change. And change is only going to happen if collectively we all speak up and speak our truth of how we felt over the years. And that's not just a black issue. That's a white, black, that's a people's issue. Absolutely. 100%. Thank you for that. I think it's important that people speak about things that matter. And since George Floyd was murdered, there has been a change in the way people speak and engage, which I've not... I've not seen to this level before. People have never really cared as much as they care now. So hopefully that means things will be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can can pray for change. We can can pray for parity. Yeah, and we we, we also must remember, and, and, and you know, this is not a negative. This is a really positive change. We have to remember that this has been indoctrinated. People's mentalities have to change. And it's not going to change just from one incident, one major, major incident. Yeah, this has been going on for years, bearing in mind. 400 years of slavery and, and black people have been treated really rough. Really, really rough. And that's not going to just change overnight. However, if we just start, the, remember again what I said, the small steps. Small steps. So that my kids' grandkids can live in a world where they don't, nobody is judging them on their skin colour or on their straight hair or what they look like or what they don't have and whether they're lesbian, transgender. That's what we want to hope for. That's and I think dream. the young generation, I'm telling you, they are strong and feisty. They're going to make this happen. And excuse me, viewers, if I swear a little bit. No, go you know it. what? We've got to make this shit happen. And we've got to make sure that our young people have the gumption, have the confidence and the courage to speak up and speak their truth. Because otherwise, the world is going to look a very depressing, depressing place. I think they are, you know. Like, I think young people are much better at being themselves than my generation was when we were young Absolutely. and I guess probably when your generation was oh when my you were gosh young. oh my gosh so much so much the conforming you know if people want to you know do what they want to do wear their tattoos have their nose piercings half a face with they're just going for it and I think companies are recognizing again forget the facade it's inside that matters. And I speak a lot about kindness is one of my things. I was, like I said, I was on a webinar yesterday with a group of apprentices and the three things they used on the webinar that were important to them, kindness, compassion, authentic. And I said to them, guys, you know what? This has been one of the best days I've had in a working capacity in a long time. 
because they sang off my song sheet. Yeah, be kind, be compassionate, but most importantly, be you. Absolutely. This is my approach as well, particularly on the kindness and compassion side in terms of my own coaching when I'm working with my clients, but also just when I'm talking to people to try and make them realize that if they start being nicer to themselves and also to other people, then good things happen. And being kind doesn't mean being a pushover. Absolutely. It just means that you're treating yourself and others. Aware, aware about how you should treat yourself. Respect exactly what you said, Penny. You know, it's, you know, that, that and, and uh, you know, we, we have this big hashtag self-care. And I say, and one of the things we say as, uh, with my, kind, my company, vitalizehealth.com, we, we, we put a lot on there, you know, and, it, and it will, we will be spreading the word more and more. You cannot, another one to write down, viewers, listeners, you cannot give from an empty cup, yeah? You cannot give from an empty cup. And the more you feel you can, you're, you're doing yourself an injustice. And the other day, you know, I, was, I've, I felt really overwhelmed. I felt overwhelmed, you know, with my mum's been a little bit poorly and work and taken on a lot. And, and I did, and I, I was like, oh, Matt. I said to my husband, Matt, who's bloody incredible, me, Matt, you know, I'm feeling like this. And he said, me, slow it down, baby. I was like, but how? He's like, say no. And I don't think people understand the power of saying no. No, I think I take no in two ways. No is I can't do any more. And if a company tells me no or a brand tells me no, I just think next opportunity. No means next opportunity. I think no's a really interesting one as well, because as women, we're often socialised to say yes to be the carers of those around us and so i'm i'm cypriot and in our house the the girls are essentially the ones that do everything which i was never that was i fought against that from about four years old i was like no this isn't no we're not playing this game and that's just how it goes yeah the girls are sent to fetch things or to clean things and the boys get to just play yeah. And from the beginning, girls are told they have to make other people happy. Boys are never given that responsibility or yeah. any any responsibility at all, <laughs> which leads to adults who will put other people before themselves. So then they never get to be happy because they don't even know what that means. They don't even know what it is that they want because they've never been allowed to even think about it. <laughs> they don't know what happiness looks like because happiness looks like to them was what they were told by their mum and dad. And that's not just in, in the Cypriot um, culture as well. That was a lot in the, that happens a lot in the Asian culture and the, and the Caribbean culture. You have to learn to cook. You have to learn to iron. What the hell's wrong with these hands? Yeah, what's wrong with your, what's wrong with these hands? But luckily, that's changing significantly. And sometimes, you know, and, and, and I'm not ashamed to say it, there was a time, you know, going back, you know, 10 years ago where I was the main breadwinner going on in, in this family. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm the main breadwinner. So he- hello, honey, you better get ironing. And doing what you need to do because I'm not around or get some help in. And my mum used to say to Michelle, good on you, girl. Good on you. Yes. Stand up for what's right. And it's so true because I used to see my mum and Penny, when I mean slog, you know, like a bloody slave. Oh, I have to rush and cook dinner and I have to do that. No, don't, no, it's over. Now, bear in mind, that's that generation. I'm another generation on from you or two generations on from you. And I ain't having it. So my little son, six years old, pick up your plate, put it in the dishwasher. Go and help set the table. Because you've got to want parity. 
If you want parity in the outside world, you have to have parity inside the house. Yeah, well done. I'm glad that we're talking about your kids because that was going to be my next question. Are they into uh, sport and fitness like you? And do they look at you and be like, I just want to be like mom and be an athlete? So answer to the second question, they don't want to be like mum. No, so that's okay. But they do love the fact of being an Olympian <laughs> and doing well in their own right. They are very sporty. Um, my daughter is 17 in September and she's a very, very promising netball player and um, triple jumper. She's starting out as a triple jumper yeah. and she kind of likes it. Um, my daughter Eden is 13 and she's a very exceptional athlete and netballer. Um, my son, who's six, nearly seven, seven in September as well. He's an all-rounder, loves it all. And it, it, it's about it's about environment. And for Elijah, you know, he sees his sisters who are, you know, seven and 10 years respectively older than him. And he sees me and Matt, you know, doing sport. And, and we actually are just about to launch, I think it's about four weeks. We're about to launch the Fit Family Robinsons. Yes. We are so active. And, um, you know, we want to share some insights with people into what our life looks like. So yeah, we're about to launch the Fit Family Robinsons in about four weeks time. And we want to share some insights into, you know, us as a family, how much we love sport and fitness and exercise. And, and it's not for any reason than just to let people know that you can just do small stuff together as a family. And I think one of the things we stand for is that we are a very positive family, black, white, whatever we are, we are black, but we are very positive. We, um, we love being fit. We love doing stuff together like that. That's our biggest common goal together. Uh, that's huge for us. And I think that's one of the biggest common goals that me and Matthew really share is that we've got both got a passion for sport and exercise and, and long may it continue as well. Is your husband an athlete as well? Yeah, he's damn stunning and gorgeous. My husband, Matt, he's a Welsh international rugby player and, you know, he's um, very sporty, loves the whole sport and exercise. Matt's m- probably more on a journey now of physical activity. It's always been a very big part of his life. You know, he's done sport. He played professional cricket and then professional rugby. So he's always been and he's been in the industry as a strength conditioning coach before he came into teaching. But I think for Matt, the journey he's on now is more about the the mental side of things. So every morning, Matt goes out on a 30 to 40 minute walk. He gets up at six in the morning, quarter to six, and he goes out on a walk and listens to podcasts or audios or reads, and then does five to 10 minutes of meditating on on a bench. And that sets him up for the day. So he's on a mental journey. And I think that's something that I think he really wants to start spreading the word about how important it is for men's mental health. Obviously, we know that it's one of the biggest killers for, for men um, out there, suicide. So Matt's biggest thing is, you know, men have to start looking after themselves and start showing their vulnerability as well. You know, cry, but speak to, speak to other men because women are very good at speaking to others. We're great. We have a network that we tell and say, you know what, I feel shit today. You know, I'm not feeling great. But when do you, you hear men proudly saying, you know what, I ain't feeling it today, you know, I'm feeling really low. Yeah, so, you know, I think for, for Matt in itself, Matt wants to really, um, you know, spread the word. And I think that's one of the things we will put on the Fit Family Robinsons. We, we will do a, a little series on that as well about the importance of looking after yourself. And, and that's more specifically based towards men and where he's feeling in his life that, you know, he needed that support as well. And, you know, so I think that's really important. I'm really happy that you're doing that. It's definitely something that people don't give enough credence to, particularly men. But everyone, yeah. really, our mental health is always a second thought that people don't, don't consider until it's too late. late. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, a, that's about being the, the, having the open, transparent conversation, um, which Matthew wants to hope, you know, to, to, to really um, cultivate. 
and to grow, you know. Um, that's one of the things that he feels very passionate about, especially black men as well. Black men struggle to come out and because of, again, culture and, and deemed to be you're weak. If you cry, you're weak, you know, get on with it, stiff upper lip type thing. So he wants to really, you know, spread the word there. So I think, um, it, I think it's just about timing for us, you know, getting our YouTube channel up and everything else. But it's something that is definitely in the pipeline. We, we, we just got to sign it off, really. And I think um, people will be, it will be, it will grow. It will grow because we want to, what's our purpose? We want to have an impact on people. I think people will definitely be interested in that, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. other parents with children yeah. who are trying yeah. to navigate how to bring up healthy kids. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things we, we, we advocate and we say, again, you don't have to be the best person in Devon. You don't have to be the best person in your county, but all we want you to do is be active so that, you know, you can, when you're 18, 19, put on your outfit and feel good intrinsically, feel great about yourself. You know, you don't have to be a size eight to say, oh yeah, I can wear that. Be a size 14, but be fit, be strong, be muscly. Yeah. And I often hear people saying, Oh, I don't want to do weights. I used to hear women say, I don't want to do weights because make me look bulky. I'm like, guys, come on. I could lift 97 and a half kilograms clean. And I weighed 64 kilograms and I didn't look like a man. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, it's almost trying to um, negate that, that sentiment of people. Like, oh, no, if I don't want to do much, too much weights because I'm going to look like a... No, you ain't. No, you're not. You're lifting some weights. Be quiet. Get over yourself. Yeah, 100%. The only way that you're going to look like a man is if you start taking testosterone. Absolutely. So if you're not Absolutely. doing that, exactly, it's not going to happen by accident. I think people go. really underestimate how hard it is to build muscles. Oh my God, Penny, you're so right. I'm like flipping heck. And, and trust me, for all my over 45 year old women out there, you better be kicking ass and doing your weight training because I tell you what, it definitely goes down. Is it south? North, south? Yeah, it goes down south <laughs> as you get past 45. And that's me who's always trained. It's really hard to build that muscle bulk. So, you know, don't let that be a barrier. Oh, I don't want to go into the gym because I don't, I don't want to lift weights. Can maybe, no, exactly what you said, Penny. Unless you're taking testosterone, that ain't going to happen. So get over yourself. Yeah, 100%. And also lifting weights is going to be really important as you're getting older. Because if you're over 45, your muscles have already started to deteriorate. And as soon as you Absolutely. hit menopause, your bones are going to start deteriorating at a faster rate than they already Absolutely. are. And then... Yeah, Absolutely. If you fall over, you might break a bone and it's going to take you months longer to heal. And it's a terrible disaster. You should just lift some weights and save yourself the trouble. Absolutely. And if that means that you carry your shopping bags and walk a little bit further with them, you know, something like that is simple to do. So instead of getting calling your kids out the car to carry your shopping bags in, carry them in yourself. And, if, and, and yeah, climb up the stairs with some shopping bags, you know, do anything you can, you know, lift your bags of sugar. You know, my, my husband said to me when he's, um, some clients that I was personal training said, I don't have any weights. Matthew said, ask me if they got some flour. And I said, what do you need flour? He said, tell them to put it in some bags, some Sainsbury's shopping bags and, and lift them up to their chest and back. I was like, okay, compromise, right? There's yeah, no excuses. Exactly. No excuses. How did you and your husband meet? Uh, now you're stealing one of my, my, my fun things here now. So how do we meet Matthew meet? And I often share this and I say it with a big smile on my face. So 2002, I was, in a, uh, I was in a volatile relationship with my ex and I went to, we kind of split up around April of um, 2002. I went to the Commonwealth Games in July in Manchester and I walked into a busy dining hall with about a thousand people. Commonwealth Games is huge, it's busy. It's a dining hall now where all the, Olympic, the, all the athletes are, sports people are there. 
And um, I saw this beautiful looking black guy sitting there with a group of white guys around the table. And I said to my best friend, talking about Marcia again, here you go, Marcia, say I'm stalking you. Um, I said to her, Marcia, I'm going to go up and I'm going to ask that guy, that's the guy I'm going to marry. She's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go and tell him. She went, no, you can't. No, you, you, you can't. I said, oh, yeah, 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 I am. I said, no, 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 I'm going to go and tell him. And I've got, I'm going to go up to him and tell him. She's like, Michelle. I said, by the time she could say Michelle, I was gone. So I walked over to the table. I introduced myself. He said, I saw you in the papers yesterday, actually. I saw you in the Daily Mail showing your bum. It was a Gwyneth Paltrow pose that I'd been doing. I was like, oh, God, how embarrassing. Um, and I asked him for his number. He told me no. He said, but I, can, you can have mine because he was in a relationship already. And um, cut a long story short, he left me hanging. Yep, hanging. Guys, hanging. You hear me? For three months. Called me the end of October, which the decent thing to do. He was coming out of a relationship. We started dating then. And um, uh, as they say, the, the rest is history. Um, that was 18 years ago. And that was 18 years ago in July. Yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, it's 18 years in October we've been together. Gosh. So that's, it's, it's been a long time. It was lucky that the three months later when he called you, you weren't in a relationship with someone I'm else. telling you, I thought damn cheek. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, I was glad that, you know, he could have had two women on the, on the run at the same time. So I'm glad he sorted out his affairs first and came to the table with a clean slate. So, um, you know, and that's 18 years ago. We we're very proud to have three beautiful kids, like I said, um, two girls and a boy. And Matt is a, he's a golden gem. He's a, brilliant, he's a brilliant guy. Sometimes I don't give him the credit for it. I whinge and moan at him, but he needs a little kick up his ass at times. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, he's a great guy. He's a very driven guy, um, very motivated <clears throat> and um, fantastic role model. Um, not just for my kids, but he's a fantastic role model for, for other kids out there as well. So he's in te the teaching profession. And in September, he's going to start his PhD in um, le leadership and ethnicity. So, yeah, we'll have a Dr. Robinson in a few years. So I'll oh. be the doctor's wife. <laughs> That's wonderful. It's so nice to see how in love you are after all of this time. Yeah. No, no do you know what? I'm going to say that our love is strengthened more and more each day and, you know, I guess, again, that's about being comfortable. You know, when, when I first was going out with Matt, I, you know, I, I, I was definitely had so many insecurities, you know, and, and that's from childhood, upbringing, you know, relationships, which, which, and this, which is what I've always said. You know, you don't just grow into this confident girl just like that. You know, it takes, you, you hit rock bottom. And it's almost like a pendulum swing and things change all the time. So, but yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I do feel very blessed. And one of the things that the qualities that I, or one of my core values that I talk about is uh, I show a lot of gratitude. I'm very blessed and grateful to be married to Matt, who's such a progressive, you know, beautiful looking guy, really. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for coming on the show today. Where Pleasure. can listeners find you if they want to? So if listeners want to find me, I'm on my website is www.michellegriffithrobinsonoly.co.uk. My Instagram handle is Michelle Griffith Robinson, O-L-Y, or just Michelle Griffith Robinson. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Robinson, O-L-Y. I'm using that O-L-Y quite a lot, right? That's, yeah. I earned that. I earned that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the thing that I would say to, to, to everybody out there listening is um, if you are to look for somebody and it's difficult, then you're not meant to be with them. And if you're meant to stumble across me, then it will be. Because I strongly believe in fate. Thank you, Penny, for having me on. It's been fab. Really great. Thank you so much.
Uh, I will put links to all of the places in the show notes. So listeners, if you are interested, you can just click. It will be at the top. Thank you very much. Until next time. Just a quick one jumping back on from me, guys. Michelle told you to get a piece of paper and answer three questions. Why, how and when? I want you to do it. And if you do do it, take a photo. You can hide the actual words if you want to keep those for yourself and post it on Instagram, tagging us both so we can see. You will definitely get more out of these podcasts if you do the homework. So do it now. Also, she told you to write a bunch of different things. So write your own affirmations, positive quotes that are going to help you do whatever you need to do. Stick them around the house and do a little experiment on yourself. See how helpful it is. I'll see you next time, guys.